Welcome to A Matter of Principles, a podcast of the Association of Washington School Principals. Hello, everyone. I'm Jack Arend, Associate Director with the Professional Learning Team here at AWSP. We are excited to bring you Inclusion 360, a special podcast series that will bring the inclusion discussion full circle. Inclusion 360 is the culminating event wrapping up our year of learning, exploring, and implementing inclusionary best practices and diving deep into how to be an inclusionary leader. This work has been made possible by a generous grant from OSPI. Our AWSP team has assembled some of the most dynamic and sought after inclusion experts in the country to bring you this special six episode series. This podcast series will feature Ladera Korn, Keith Jones, Dan Habib, Lauren Katzman, Alfredo Artiles, and Glenna Gallo. And that's not all. On May 10th, you can meet this amazing team of experts for a free live webinar. You do not want to miss this event, so go to our website and register for the Inclusion 360 live webinar. For now, enjoy this podcast series. The Association of Washington School Principals is so excited to be part of the statewide inclusionary practices project that is a grant funded by OSPI here in our state that has allowed our association, the School Principals Association, to meet and work with incredible people. As we are deep into this project right now, one of the new things we're doing is a, is a project called Inclusion 360. And this project is allowing AWSP to invite voices from all around our nation who are making a positive impact around inclusion, belonging, and awareness of all things inclusion and inclusionary practices and bringing their voices to our members. Today, I am very, very excited to bring to you Mr. Keith Jones. Keith Jones is a strong, strong advocate for independent living. Keith Jones was born with cerebral palsy and has done simply amazing things to advocate for people uh, with disabilities and their independence and their success in their daily lives and their professional lives. Keith Jones is also the president and CEO of Soul Touch and Experiences. Folks that are listening, people that are watching, oh my gosh, we are in for a treat today working with Mr. Jones. I'm so excited to bring his voice here to Washington State. Good morning, Keith. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Uh, We're doing great. So um, I know you are zooming into us right now from New Jersey. How are things in the Garden State? Um, The Garden State. We are. uh, I'm in my Zoom uh, bubble bunker, uh, zombie apocalypse hideout shelter. but at the moment, all things are good. I did manage to uh, get the first uh, dose of the vaccine, so I will be coming out of the husk that is the bubble. Um, but other than that, everything is everything is good. And thank you for having me. Absolutely, thanks so much. You're right. There's, I think we're all seeing a light at the end of this tunnel, uh, and that's just so that's just so exciting and so hopeful. Well, let, let's just get into this right now. So this is like the inclusionary 360 project that we're doing here with the Washington School Principals Association. So so tell us, Keith, what do you think is effective inclusion? Effective inclusion is, is uh, it's, it's sort of a thing that I think of. 
And just to, before I give you the full answer, uh, I was the first student in upstate New York in 1976 to be mainstreamed uh, in Ithaca, New York. So I was the only black kid, the only disabled kid in an entire school. But it was only for half of the day. And the inclusion was, okay, you're in it, now take your behind on. Effective inclusion is educators understanding who, who the end user is. The end user is not the union. The end, user, the end user is not the administration. The end user is the student. So if you understand that the focal point should be how do we make sure that this human who's walked into our building, who we've chosen to be here because this is our profession, gets the best of us? How do we make sure that we leave our biases at the door, regardless of their human condition, and give them the best of us so that they can be better? So effective inclusion is people who are in position, principals, superintendents, teachers, support staff, Children don't have a choice. Teachers and everybody else in the profession do. So the best practice of inclusion is understand that we can leave fingerprints on forever. So we can either be a launching pad or brick wall. And so inclusion is just taking first and foremost that the child or the student, humanity is important. And that we need to support that development in terms of education, particularly when they come into a school setting. So that's sort of how I see effective inclusion. And then you get into the technical parts about support services, one-on-one, peer-to-peer, and, you know, augmentative communication devices, access to technology. And I just, I just want to let that sink in, the people that are, that are taking this in right now. And I, I just, I would hope the listeners right now, the watchers, you know, reflect on your building, your district, the, the classrooms, are they launch pads or brick walls to the end user, the student, right? And what's that student experience? And that's, and that end user experience, that's effective inclusion when we kind of design it from that way. Thank you for, thank you for putting it that way for our people to really just, you know, as a, as a 10,000 foot view, what are you? What are you? Right. Uh, is is your system a, a launch pad, which we want for each and every kid, or right. is it a brick wall for some? Right, and and I I, I mean I look at it um, when I when it came to the project, I kind of chuckled because they asked me this is well, what are you interested in? Implementation, because it seems that's my thing, um, and I I kind of chuckle like the running joke I've had when I do education trainings is like I have to convince educators that there are students that are worthy of being educated in education. The, the irony of that discussion for 50 years has baffled me. Because again, you have a PhD and a master's degree, but I have to convince you to set aside preconceived notions, biases around abilities, gender expression, ethnicities, religious ragtops in order for you to be effective at your job. Because again, this is a profession you chose to do. So if you're choosing to be in public education, then the discussion about inclusion in 2021 for me is slightly disheartening considering I did it 40 years ago. 
50 years, you know, 45 years ago. And the same issues that we are convincing school districts that a human-centered design curriculum or a school building that is the hub of a community where it actually is strengthening the community, where it's not adversarial, where it is not a collection of fiefdoms, where a parent can actually come in. You know, and this is a two-way street, of course, but if you're talking to professionals, right, I always get concerned when, because I was the student, right, the student who, if I heard somebody describe my humanity, I reacted. And in the 70s and 80s, you black boy, you react. I was told three days into high school that I had an emotional disability. And so when you tell people this, and the reason I was told that was because of what's happening now was that the perception of my humanity was that, ah, oh, you should be glad that you in school. And for those of us who understand how political education is, that is the underlying fissure of healthcare disparities, income disparities, generational wealth. How do you get beyond redlining? How do you break into biotech? How do you go from Bellingham to Seattle? How do you become the next Boeing, right? Like, how do you do this? And so if you are running into societal fissures in your classroom, because the person who is in charge of educating you has pre-deemed your humanity to be not worthy of the effort, what do you do? So inclusion in this piece is, you know, it's a two-way street, of course, but if we're talking to the professionals, I always ask, you know, you get up every morning to go with deal with somebody else's badass kid. Why? Why? Right? Because this is not a profession where, you know, you're not making widgets. Like you literally are impacting the potential of somebody's quality of life to be better, neutral, or worse. And yeah. so in that scenario, I just kinda hope that, you know, in the implementation piece, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic. So every discussion about, well, we're not going to be able to give you the technology for this kid to be included and get class. Mm-mm. That don't work no more. Well, we're not. Mm-mm. All of those excuses are gone. So now, you don't get to lean on your biases. You have to include students, regardless of their human condition, regardless of their gender expression. If those things are an impediment to you doing your job, that kind of system, you don't need to do the job. Mm-hmm. I want to go back a little bit to the launch pad brick wall thing. Mm-hmm. And I want you to think about, you know, you shared with us, you know, you're, you were the first student there in Ithaca, New York, you know, 1976, that was, uh, um, that was included, I guess you said, for half a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you had brick wall type of people in that system, but I'm hoping you also had some launch pad type of people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What were, the, what were the things that the launch pad people or systems did for you that, that while you were a student in the system? I think everybody, I mean, everybody remembers their favorite teacher and the teacher they got, <laughs> right? And the teacher they got on their last good nerve, right? Like everybody, like those are the two teachers you always remember throughout the course of your life. Right? Um, but the teachers that, the teachers that I had, that were the launching pads 
with the teachers they understood. One, what their job was, but one understood what, who they were dealing with. Like, you are dealing with a developing human, right? Who is going, everybody goes through puberty. So, and it always stuns me when people are shocked at high school students being, you know, slightly odd in their behavior, understanding that they're going through a metabolical and metaphysical change. My teachers, I was fortunate enough to have one in middle school, a couple in high school, some in college, and they were always, and they were the extreme counterbalance to the overwhelming negativity that society would place on um, the perception of whether or not I could go to college, whether or not I should graduate, whether or not I should stay past age 18. Oh, look, you can stay till you're 22. Why would, who wants to stay in high school till they're 22? And why, as a teacher, would you encourage that? So my launch pads were, and they were, <laughs> I have to laugh, because they would always call my mama. And so, <laughs> it would, so, so I would be gangster and tough. I'm not going to do that. Well, you know, you're, oh, okay. So, it, you know, so it's okay. But it was, it was an understanding of, one, that this child is more than just my subject. This child comes from a community that has cultures, norms, practices, and, and patterns. That in this school setting, that if I'm going to be an accurate teacher, I need to take that into account and set a culture in my classroom that is firm, that is accountable, but understands the humanity. And those were in every teacher that was a launch pad. Wow. Was that was that they saw my, you know, potential, I guess. Did you Keith, did you feel that those teachers that were the launch pads, that they really created a an environment where you felt like you belonged? A oh, absolutely. Absolutely absolutely. Um I I had a few I had my, it was my algebra teacher because I thought my dream was to be an aeronautical engineer and to build a robotech ship and go to Mars, but I digress. She, uh, she, you know, she told my mom, she, you know, because I had an IEP meeting and so you would go and that was the gift and the curse of an IEP meeting is that your mama got to talk to your teacher. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I couldn't really hide behind it, but she had expectations. And I think for every teacher who's listening and every parent that's listening, every student that's listening, it's the expectation that you're great. I expect you to be great. Yes. And, yes. In, and in order for you to be that expectation, I'm going to give you greatness by being great at this job that I do because this is the profession that I was called to do. And so if I give you my best effort, if you fall short because, you know, you just couldn't do it or whatever, you know, that's just what the outcome is. I got that. But it was, but the launch pad teachers were always like, like my job is to is to set you up and to give you every tool possible for you to succeed. Your success then depends on your effort and your work ethic. Yeah. And th yeah. Th those were those were the definite the definitive um, characteristics between the launch pad and the brick wall. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for thank you for saying that. And and you know I I did I did a lot of reading about you before I had this awesome <laughs> opportunity to meet you, and you were told a lot of things that you would never be able to do and you did them all 
and you did them all. And I, I just wonder, you know, that's that's in you and that's the person that you are. Or maybe it's the person your mama said you were going to be. Um, <laughs> but but I, I just I, I I'm hoping that part of that. Oh, yes, I can do it came from those launch pad school people Absolutely. that supported you and saw all of you saw all of you and, and what you brought to the table. Absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking about it now as we speak. Um, my my middle school teacher, it was funny, I was going to the grocery store like maybe a couple of ten years back. And I she said, Keith? I said, Miss Hill. <gasps> and it was like and I was like, Oh my god, I love you, you know, and then like all fanboyish, like, oh my god, little John again. <laughs> um, but she was but again, she was the homeroom teacher that had that was depth with, you know, the handling of students. Because again, you know, late seventies, early eighties, mainstreaming and inclusion is what they're calling it now. You you were anchored in a special needs homeroom, but you would go to other classes, but you weren't in a regular homeroom. Some kids weren't, some kids were. And the fact that my teachers, Miss Hill, Miss McMillan, you know, you, I, I'm just calling just a couple, and they just were like, you're too smart to be sitting here doing what you're doing. And they would push me. Yeah, there's, there's a computer contest coming. I uh, see so you like computers. I don't want to do it. It's got a thousand dollars, right? And they, you know, and they, but they would encourage, and they would constantly. But it was it was an encouragement that understood that you are going through a developmental change because you're a child. Yeah, yeah. And that there are things that you can't control. But I have an expectation that you will be great, and that you will not be lazy. And if you lazy. Well, good luck, because when your mama see your report card, you're not living in my house. So it was that. So those were the kind of, so those are the kind of characteristics. And, and you know, and I must full disclose, my mother is a teacher, stepfather's a professor, uh, aunt is a teacher. So I come from a family of educators. Yeah, you do. Um, but it was one of the things where the expectation placed in me was societal re related. You know, people keep saying, oh, your mother raised a wonderful advocate. She was raising a black man in America at the end of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And so that's a different kind of mindset. And I think teachers, you know, for your teachers in Washington, is to understand where these students are coming from now. You know, you're coming from not just a, a really aggressive political era, but you're coming out of a, the global pandemic. Yes. And yes. all of the social strife has been exacerbated by those very realities. And so when you get students who, who are historically marginalized, who've been extra pushed to the side, this is why inclusion in Washington is vast, critically important. This is going to be the generation that will make Washington State the state everybody wants to go to because y'all get it. You know, because you, you understand, yes, I'm an administrator, but my job is not to balance the books. My job is not to turn out stupid people. <laughs> like, my job is, like, that's my job. Like, the job is not to have people come in my class and be dumber when they leave. Like, the job is to give them hope. Um, you know, again, going back to your launch pad, like, I probably would have never done half the stuff if my teachers just didn't say, you know, I, I think you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's fantastic. Hey, I want to talk about, and I, I want to get your perceptions and your ideas and your thoughts on, you know, what makes um, what makes up effective 
inclusion? Like if I was, if you were going to talk to a school leader and, and they're implementing this, what are some pieces that you think would make up effective inclusionary practices in a school? Okay. Well, oh, thank you for asking that question. <laughs> All right. <Okay>. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, because I and I'm gonna be kind of hard with this because, uh, you know, I'm a little jaded now that I've crossed over my fifties. Um, what is the job, right? What is the job? What What is the goal when you walk into the physical space of a school building? What is your job? You are a administrator. You are a principal. You are a teacher in your classroom. What is your job? If your job is to impart information upon the humans that sit in front of you, do your job. When you start making an assessment about the quality of their humanity and then start saying, well, I don't know if Johnny can get it because, you know, boys are not as smart as girls, then that's not doing the job. That's that's letting, you know, social pressures, you know, questions. My effective inclusion comes from understanding when we walk into this building, if I'm a principal, every teacher, the one thing we're going to kill and squash is there will be no more of this regular ed versus special ed. Mm-hmm. All they got to go. That's number one. And if you can't do that, if you can't get a hold of that, then it doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you can't, the, the, the other part is to ask the district to define education. What is education? Because education in the pub, particularly public, what is education in the public setting? Because that's the difference. And the reason you need to ask this is because it is driven by politics. It is driven by access to services. It is driven by resources. So if you're in a school district with a lot of resources, your definition of education is what? Versus somebody coming from the lower side of Seattle or coming from a rural area of the state. What, you know, or First Nation, where there's a different definition of education. So, one, as a principal, have a full, comprehensive understanding of who your teachers are. Set the leadership tone that we are not here for us. We are here for the kids. That's number one. Number two, that we have to model the human interaction behavior around differences and acceptance in our space that we expect from our students. And thirdly, we have to agree that every student's intellect is valued and worthy of nurturing. Those, If you can't do those three things, it doesn't matter whether or not I put in, you know, I make the school, you know, Wi-Fi broadband accessible, where those students who are within the two-mile radius can come back to the school after it's closed to use it as a hotspot for those who are caught in the digital divide. There's secondly, there's working with the school district to make sure that after school programs have the ability to have accessible transportation for the students who may or may not need it. Why not just make transportation inclusive as opposed to having the short bus? Why not put everybody on the short bus? Because then you've now kneecapped, uh, for lack of a better term, one of the social ills that leads into the school of bullying. So there are real strategic, and thirdly, you know, the third thing that I would do in an effect is set up a a council or a a group in which parents and teachers have actual effective power to set the culture of the school. 
and that we used to call we call that strategic planning and implementation. <laughs> so if you want to get all policy wonky, so where you'll have <laughs> where you'll have meaningful stakeholder involvement, where <laughs> the parents were, because a lot of you know and doing this for so long, you hear teachers say, well, parents are not involved. If I'm working 100 hours a week, it's kind of, you know, you know, if I'm, if, you know, if I'm a mother and I know, you know, they pay so me it's understanding 70 cents on the dollar. Know who you're dealing with. I have with. a better tan than everybody Ex- in the Expect you that each one that comes through is worthy of teaching. Understand that if you are modeling disparate behavior, that will be reflected in your students. Model that. Have teach and give and specifically give teachers planning time, cohort building time, team building. Are we gonna do the fall back exercise? Will you catch me? I like don't lean this way, but uh, <laughs> but it, <laughs> but it, I mean I mean and and it sounds I mean because there are technical things you know clearly physical infrastructure making classrooms more accessible. You know we're coming out of the pandemic. How do you do? Um, mixed-use rooms, things like that. Those are technical things, and we can't really get into that. But at the core of this, the reason we have disparities in, in graduation rates is not because of the school building. It's because of hazards and practices. So if we get teachers and school administrators to see the students as worthy, then we can get, get to a full inclusive education. And I really... Um couple things I just picked up on on your answer that really struck a chord with me when you said, you know, does everybody in your building truly believe that each student walking through the door is worthy of an education? That's a powerful statement that you made there, Keith. And one day, I would hope that people listening, watching, whatever, I hope that they would just kind of maybe write that down and ask themselves that question or ask the entire staff that. Do we believe that? Really, do we believe that? Yeah. And and I just really appreciate what you said. And then I, I want to follow up with something else that you you mentioned. You talked about stakeholders, and and and, and I guess my question was, you know, what is meaningful or or authentic stakeholder engagement around students and students being served on IEPs? Or t- talk to me more about when you mentioned meaningful stakeholders and their and their involvement. Okay, so stakeholders are everybody involved in the education process. The main stakeholder is the student, the one who, the ones who personally have the most invested in the main stakeholder would be parents or guardians. Um, the the second, the one A on that tier should be, you know, depending on where they are on the school line, um, their teachers, and all of their teachers. Because at the end, we know, because again, we're not working in the bubble. We're working with 40 or 50 years of academic data. We understand that literally, that if they can pick your zip code, they can tell you how, what your socioeconomic outcome will be. That should never happen. You should never be able to look in the map of Olympia and and pick out a zip code area and say, this kid will go on to watch you. Or then pick this one and say this kid will go to federal prison. That should never be able. You should never be able to do that. So meaningful stakeholder involvement is one relinquishing power, right? Because you know because right now this seems sort of imbalanced. Parents, as an activist, parents tend to think that they're always 
fighting the school. Like, we always have to go convince the schools that my child needs. And the pushback from the school is, well, we only have finite resources. You know, I get that. But you do understand. But again, this is not making widgets. You know, we understand, you know, what that is. But you also understand you saying, I cannot give is a reinforcement to that stakeholder that see we not worthy. So meaningful stakeholder involvement is giving the people at the table, the parents and the students, an actual voice in the outcome of the education. Meaning that if I'm at the IEP and I say, I, you know, yes, there are standards, but I'm really creative. Like, and I really don't want to learn about Shakespeare as much as I love him. I would rather learn about Langston Hughes, you know, and, who, and these kind of things, and what happened in the Black Renaissance, so that I can take that over to this tech class. Well, we don't have computers in your school. So again, meaningful stakeholder involvement is having authentic power. One, to shape an appropriate curriculum. I know it sounds kind of radical to say that, you know, we'll actually give kids a holistic education. I came up when they taught us civics, which is why when I saw January 6th, I'm like, they didn't put that on Schoolhouse Rock. But, right, so, um, and so, right, and so it's, it's, so the triumvirate is school district, parents, students, and teachers. That, that stakeholder, and everybody should be at the table and saying, how can we make sure that this, this child, when they come in in pre-K, when they leave our public school district, you know, whether they, you know, high school, has received at every step of the way the highest quality education possible with the most surround supports to make sure that at least on our end, we've done everything we can to give this person the ability to be a wholly rounded individual at the end of our process because they are the end user. Yeah. Keith, you've 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 worked with lots of districts. You've, you know, you've keynoted speeches in lots of different places and states and conventions and all these things. And 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 you have good knowledge of the way some districts do things and the way and some things that districts don't do. Um, well, what would you say is the way to have an effective inclusionary environment and practices in a district, but and have it be sustainable? What, what are you seeing as, as things where districts that you notice that, wow, not only are they doing inclusion and doing it well, it's, they have created sustainability. Uh, there are pockets of greatness. And a lot of that comes from the fact that the stakeholders, everybody is in agreement that in order to have healthy communities and healthy schools, we need to concentrate on making sure that the children or the student is healthy from soup to nuts. That's understanding that, you know, we're not going to throw your mama in jail because you haven't paid your lunch bill. That's understanding that children, um, you know, so, you know, that the, the places that I've seen the best are the people, are the principals who support the teachers okay. in their creativity. Um, school districts who acknowledge history <laughs> and, and do meaningful and concerted and sustained efforts to address um, those inequities, as well as understanding that, you know, education is always political. 
um, it shouldn't be, but it is at this current point, that you cast it as what it is. It's we are giving our community the best, well-educated people in the world that can address these social, these ills that they see the moment before they get to my school building. You can see a lifetime just on the way to the school. How many people do you see on the street homeless? How many people, how many stores? How many people do you see successful? And why is there a delineation between my gender expression and my ability to succeed? All of that in the school setting is where the principals and the teachers the administrators, the support staff, understand that we are here to set the most inclusive and accepting environment, irrespective of your human condition. And that takes work. And, yes. the, school, and the school districts that I've seen sustain that, usually it's because there are people who are just damned determined to do it versus, you know, we've been mandated to, oh my God, Keith, we got to put you in the class here, you know, versus somebody saying, you know, the, you know, and and I'll put it like this. I ask teachers when I present or when I do trainings, it's a real simple question. Why do you teach? Why do you teach? And if you can't answer that question in 30 seconds, I, I, I humbly say then stop teaching. Because <laughs> this is not, because again, this is not that profession where you can say, oh, I, you know, I kind of, it's because you stand up in front of somebody who is trying to form their identity. And yes. every experience they have, in the, particularly in the school setting. So the sustainability has come from teachers and districts, and I've seen it in you know, areas in Minnesota, some areas in New York. But the sad part about it is that the people who are doing it usually are doing it against a tsunami. So they're like that one lighthouse in this, this massive storm because they are pressures from, well, if you do it good, then they're going to want us to do it good. Or, you know, well, we, don't, we can't do what you're doing because we don't have the funds. So hopefully that the inclusion will be done. We'll look at how we fund schools differently. We'll look at how we structure the day differently. We'll look at what is the emerging technology markets. What is going to be the new future versus capitalism who is going through a middle-age crisis. Give these kids hope. And that comes from the teacher saying, you know, we love what we do. You know, you, you said, you know, you asked the teachers, why do you teach? And, and we do that with our Washington Principals Association. You know, why, why are you leading? You know, why, don't forget your why. And we, we say often, if you're not leading for diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, you're not leading. You know, right. so, so, so why are you doing that? And, and, Thankfully, many people are doing it because they want to, you know, make that impact and they have that passion to, to, to view every kid as worthy of an awesome education and every teacher as a, as a master instructor and all, all of those things. So um, I'm just really pleased that you said that because it's a question we always have to keep asking ourselves. Why do I yeah. do you? And then one that as a leader, um, as a teacher, we have to constantly be asking, you know, others as well. So th thank you for saying that. Wow, such good stuff, Keith. Whew. Um, bringing it today. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I I have a couple more questions for you. Okay, Here comes one. What are you learning right now? So I I often say like this. What what are the books on your nightstand right now? I I am a I I take in so much information. So the books on my nightstand 
actually the books that we just published. Actually, my um, the one for you, disabled black man. Okay, my recreation. And I, I, I go back to my old favorite. Take my brain off of self defense. This because and this is and, constant. You know, um, and, and what? So what? What have I? Le- I've learned that <laughs> that we are, that we are at a huge. We are in a huge opportunity. Like I like Washington is in. A very like you guys are in an amazing position, like yeah. like, like it like it warms my heart that the stage is taken, you know you know and I'm trying to move off of my cynical part, um but so when I learn about states um having these discussions and having been part of a, a statewide initiative on a couple of fronts to do implementation from the ground up, I know about the resistance to wanting to bring a student. I've heard teachers say, well, I've never been trained to teach those students. I'm not, I don't, I'm not ready to deal with that kind of, you know, or this doesn't make me comfortable. And I get it, but again, this is not their profession. And, you know, so what I've learned is that the the children are going to either force you to get right or they're going to force you to leave because the youth are coming. And this pandemic has shifted what can be deemed as disabled. So everybody has to be included now. So you can't, you can, like, like so, so I learned that, you know, Washington is doing amazing things. New York is doing some things. You know, there are great pockets of individuals just doing. So I have hope. Um, yeah. I'm sarcastic in terms of because I know that what they deal with. But um, my cynicism is lessened uh, the more I do stuff like this. Um, and so I learned every day that, there is hope to be gleaned from people finally, you know, because again, I you know I started school in the seventies, yeah. and and to and to hear parents talk, tell me stories today that resonate from fifty years ago, um, you know, could be a little dis- disheartening. But you know what I learned is that great teachers are always great teachers, great principals are always, and even okay teachers can be great teachers. You know, you know, and there's some that maybe should just go crochet, but, <laughs> but I think, um, I think the joy is that things like this are happening and, and, and our, our youth will be better for it. Yeah, we, we, we feel fortunate, you know, that at least, at least we're, um, we're, we're starting or we're, we're continuing or whatever, whatever that is that we're, we're able to do things like this. All right, so we got people listening, we got people watching, not just school leaders, but people that are responsible for policy at the state level and all these different things. So Keith Jones, one bit of of advice, one bit of advice for a school leader who is either wanting to, or or is realizing they're going to start this inclusionary practices journey, or maybe they're kind of already in it. What's a bit of advice or encouragement you would give them? Um, there's all organizers uh, tool I learned early is meet the people where they're at. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, so to diffuse, you, you you try to meet them where they are to de- to to diffuse as much resistance as possible. Um, secondly, when you meet them where they're at, equate it to something that they can relate to. Um, just real quick, an anecdote, I was doing a project that just ended, uh, we were talking about racism and I was having a conversation 
and the person I was in the conversation with could not make the connection between the the behaviors and the 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 racism. And so I moved it from race and put it in gender and used the same behaviors. And it was, oh my God, and the story started coming. And it was like, oppression by any name, it's still oppression. So, um, you know, so I would, the, the advice would be understand, you know, know the history of, of your school district. Know the history of the students in that school district. Know the history of the why of the gaps in that. And then meet the people where they are because that's what they're going to tell you. That's what they're going to tell you. They, they're going to tell you, we ain't never had. We ain't never got. Because the schools that you're not worried about are the schools that are already got. The schools you need to worry about are the schools that never had. So my advice is love the job. Love the, love the job because this is not an easy job. Like you get up and be, I'm trust me, I got kids. I wake up, I'm like, I'm sending you to school. I love your teacher. <laughs> so let's uh, <laughs> love the job. But, but more importantly, just know that... If I leave you with nothing that you are always leaving fingerprints on forever, always. So every student you come across, you could either be again the launch pad or the brick, launch pad or the brick wall. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking. So love the child, meet them where they are, and be the launch pad, not the brick wall. Those I, are, gosh, Keith. Those are great things for for me to hear, for our listeners and viewers to to take in. And on behalf of the Association of Washington School Principals, man, we are humbled you would join us today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and your passion and stories about your mama <laughs> and all that great stuff. We appreciate you and um, thanks for helping us in Washington get a kind of 360 view about what's going on with inclusion and how it's impacting uh, schools and districts and people like you throughout the nation. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, and I wish you all the best. And anything I can do to help you make it easier, let me know. Oh, we will. Thanks. Want some support with your inclusionary practices work? Head to our website, awsp.org, where you will find a ton of resources, many of which were talked about in this podcast. You will find on-demand courses, videos to watch with your staff, workshops, articles, podcasts, and more. Can't find what you're looking for? Please reach out to us and we'll be happy to help. How about some professional learning that's relevant and fun? At AWSP, we believe adult learning should be fun and engaging, just like it should be for the students in your building. We promise to never deliver death by PowerPoint and bore you with sit and get learning. You know, a good friend of mine said, professional learning equals self-care. And self-care, that's how you get your power back. So at AWSP, we are all about supporting you and partnering with you on your professional leadership development. You know, one size doesn't fit all. So we provide a number of different ways for principals, assistant principals to stay sharp and improve their skills. We offer content for interns, assistant principals, and principals in all stages of their career. 
We do that in person when we can, and of course, online. From our cohort-based launching school leadership and building effective leadership networks to our video workshops, we've got something bound to be right up your alley. Visit our website for more information on engaging and dynamic professional learning. This series has been made possible through a generous grant from the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction Inclusionary Practices Project. We hope you've enjoyed this special podcast series on inclusionary practices for the school leader. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time.